2: I'm Samuel Mann in Soyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined today by Mawira Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Hello, so, Sam.
0: How
2: goes it? Goes very well, although I have blisters on my hands from planting lots of plants yesterday. We got a whole pile of plants that the city council had dug up from the flower beds, and we're going to throw away. So now there's quite a lot of them in our garden. I don't know how many will survive, but it's worth a try.
0: I love that your council did that. I wish councils everywhere would do that. That I'm going to lobby Fakitani District Council to do exactly that. Thank you.
2: Yeah. They just they just made they just made sure that when they were pulling them up they tried to get them up in, you know, Polish bits. And then they like loaded them all up into a into a truck and dumped them all out on the ground. So you had to kind of like ferret through and figure out the the plants that were worth worth rescuing. And then they um, had a surprise of their lives by p- being put into our clay so who are we introducing today
0: today it is my absolutely great pleasure to introduce simon Prest. uh he is a director and actor um, based in auckland um extremely well known by everybody sort of our age Uh, and younger Um, he's a marriage celebrant he's and he was the inaugural he was the founder of the inaugural Auckland Arts Festival he is the founder of the Auckland Theatre Company he's a slave to his cats he's so many things (laughs) (laughs) but he's entertained us for so many years and you're such an institution in all things arts in New Zealand and we're so lucky to have you Simon thank you
1: Thank you so much. I don't think I've ever been called an institution before. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, I think.
0: I mean it in the nicest possible way and the most with the most appreciation.
2: You know, you're in trouble if it's you're institutionalized, though.
1: I know. Oh my god.
2: <laughs> so, how has your bubble life been?
1: Well, it's obviously it's been an intense time um, uh, for us all, but I have to say, I've never been so proud to be a New Zealander and to experience it in this country and with my, my fellow Kiwis to really pull together and show such empathy and concern for each other and that we experience now the great um, um, freedom and uh, an escape from what the rest of the world is going through. So I have to say it's been a very, um, a very easy time for me personally, i you know, adhered to all of the, um, the things. I got myself a very cool mask, which I, I like to wear. So I wear that now. So all in all, it's been a, a very interesting time. But um, I, I feel that, you know, we've all pulled through very well. I feel very proud.
2: So during the, the lockdown, the first one, of course, theatre was one of the things that just went, just stopped dead.
1: Yes, well, well, actually, you know, the very first um, uh, inkling I had that this was going to affect us all um, is that one of the things that I do as a marriage celebrant is a lot of um, Chinese couples would fly to New Zealand to um, enjoy a, a lovely wedding here in our beautiful countryside. And in January, um, um, we had our first cancellation, and this is the first time that had ever happened. And, of course, you, you track that back to Wuhan, you think what the... What's happening over there? It's starting to affect my life. And then all of a sudden in March, um, it's a worldwide uh, phenomenon. And so not only theatre, but well, everything, everything is switched, switched off. I'm pleased to say that people have started to get married again, but um, theatre hasn't turned back on. And I see um, that Broadway, for example, they're not going to be turning the lights back on until the middle of next year. So it's. Um, It's a very challenging time for the live performing arts.
2: So did you, during the lockdown, did did you try and carry on rehearsing or or preparing for plays and things?
1: No, um, I didn't. We were scheduled to do a play at Kew Theatre here in Auckland in the middle of the year, and um, that was, uh, of course, cancelled. But it has been reprogrammed um, for... uh, early next year. So a lot lot of things have been uh, postponed. Some things obviously have been uh, canceled. I know Auckland Theatre Company, um, as you said very kindly put, I have a connection with. Um, They had only performed two uh, plays of their season this year. And then they had to wipe the whole thing. They thought that they could get it turned back on again for the second half of the year. But of course, we had a second lockdown. So it was a bit of a double blow for the performing arts. But it's a very resilient sector, and, you know, we're used to functioning on a, you know, the smell of an oily rag, as it were. So I I have no doubt that we will spring back, but um, it's going to take a long time, I think, for audiences around the world to feel comfortable with um, sitting in an enclosed space with um, a lot of people. I'm sure they will, um, but it's a process, and I think that everyone just has to uh, be patient.
2: Are people thinking about other ways of engaging audiences?
1: They they have um, again referring to ATC. They um, were going. They did a specially created. Um, it was like this: a Zoom um, uh, uh, performance of Chekhov's The Seagull, which uh, went around the world. And um, one of the uh, Edinburgh <coughs> uh, papers uh, picked it up as an example of an arts organization um, coping with a, a new environment. And they did the same again with um, uh, Ibsen's Master Builder. And so, um, you know, uh, I thought it was an inspired way of uh, making the best of a, a challenging situation. My own personal feeling uh, is it for um, an arts organization like a theater or something like that, and live, live, live theater, Probably it's a, a live experience for an audience. It's not a, a taped or a film experience, and they have companies with many years' experience in, in that area. That's what they do. So I don't think that live theatre will ever, you know, disappear. It's a, uh, uh, but it will take time for it to reconfigure for the new performing environment.
2: The seagull is that's Chekhov's seagull, isn't it? That's.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: The this Russian, sort of Russian rural
1: Russians. It was, it was adapted for um, a, 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 you know a lockdown situation of people just like we're speaking now, uh, um, having to experience the play with this um, you know uh, fact pattern um, sitting over the top, and so it was an intriguing modernised really up to the moment. Um, adaptation and people really appreciated it, you know, falls in love with. It's such a wonderful play, such wonderful writing.
2: Let's take the first of your music choices. Talking about wonderful writing, let's have some Lady Gaga. What? Edge of Glory. Why this one?
1: Do you know, it um, it was the earworm. I didn't actually know what the song was and I went up to a friend of mine and I said, do you know this song? It goes something like this. La, la 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 la. And he said, I think that's Lady Gaga's The Edge. First of all, I couldn't believe that I could sing something that someone could recognize, <laughs> but that they they actually knew what it was. And what I love about the song, um, it was a bit of a theme song. Um, I went to Thailand last year for a holiday, a full moon party at Copenhagen, full on. And this was where I had this earworm. And so Lady Gaga's um, Um, Edge of Glory is a bit of a theme song for me from that time. I also love it that she wrote it inspired by her grandparents. And it's really about life is so short and you have everything to gain and nothing to lose by going for it. And that's what this is about. Live life like you're on the edge of glory.
3: There ain't a reason you and me should be alone
2: You say the arts community is resilient. Is that the silver lining of running on a an, an smell of an oily rag all the time? Is that it, people do have plan B and, and can live cheaply and so on?
1: I think it's, yes, that's part of it. But it's also, I think, to do with the passion to perform. It's really something that is so ingrained that no matter what the circumstance, and often in response to hardship, art is inspired the very reason that I was involved at the Auckland computer Company was because I was working at the Mercury the night that the receivers came in and told us all to get our stuff and get out and locked us out of the theatre. And it wasn't as if we'd go and work at the next theatre, you know, the one next door. There wasn't another theatre in Auckland. And so for a moment, it just seemed that, you know, <laughs> there would be no more art in Auckland. There was that old joke, of, um, what does Auckland, uh, what's the difference between Auckland and yogurt? At least yogurt has live culture, uh, people said. You know, <laughs> it was terribly offensive, uh, but, you know, for a while there, it seemed that it was true. But because the artists were so resilient and because the audience, I think, is a big part of their lives, you know, and together the artists and the audiences rebuilt it from less than zero um, to, the you know, a company that's nearly 30 years old. So I think that to be a, a, an artist, it's a way of life as much as anything else. And I know as an actor, you do a lot of auditions and you don't get most roles that you audition for. Um, and so to be able to live with that is part of being um, to live the way of the artist. It's not about money. Otherwise, you'd go do something else.
0: <laughs> we, uh, we have in Fakatani a small theatre company, Theatre Fakatani. And they put on at least one production every year, and they—they are all people who work full time, and they do months and months of preparation to entertain us. And I'm so thankful for that. That that people, and it's always the same people, it's always the same faces, always the same cars parked parked outside the theatre, you know, leading up to it and during the performance time, and the the, the commitment that they show to our community, to entertaining us. So I, I just feel like it's such a privilege. We're so lucky.
1: It's so important to keep that level of community um, engagement happening. My my very first experience outside of school and university, there used to be a non-professional theatre here in Auckland called The New Independent, and I was able to really cut my teeth on on plays like Death of a Salesman and Streetcar Named Desire. Um, and, you know, that's where... A great training ground, a great training ground. Uh, And I I felt a strong need to put back. And so it was in 2018, I directed uh, The Diary of Anne Frank for the Waiheke Theatre Company. And they've got this very, very cute little theatre over there. And there's, you know, it's um, not a small cast. I don't know if you're familiar with the play. Um, And it's quite an age range as well. So quite a specific ask for a very small pool of people auditioning. But as it turned out, half the island turned out to audition. <laughs> we got an amazing, an amazing group of people together. And over, um, it was actually over the winter, so it was quite an experience. I had to travel over there every day or every, you know, every rehearsal day. They put together something that was just extraordinary. And to spend time, of course, with, um, with Anne Frank's words and her, you know, her message to us all. And I thought of Anne Frank often during the lockdown and thought this was really a breeze for us is that things could be much worse. And so I often thought of her. But the experience uh, of doing um, the community theatre and what really inspired me was, I think about a third of the total island population turned out to support the um, the production. So um, all, all around, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience.
2: We talked last week to somebody who's running a, a children's charity in um, Tanzania, who is American. Um, her grandmother was friends with the grew up with the franks wow um and the whole family now is all about you know, campaigning for social justice it's turned into this big intergenerational responsibility of of, make, of looking after people it's an amazing thing Does, what's the for, for actors how do you describe the you, you talked about the need to perform what what's the what's the passion about
1: um well, to be one's own life and to become someone else um, and to work through one's many problems that way was always a big plus for me. <laughs> so, you know, it's um, a, bit of, a bit of astral traveling like that. Also, um, to encounter probably some of the greatest minds in, in civilization. To do a Shakespeare play, for example, is to walk with God and to say those words. Is to take your part in the human race, I guess, as it was, as, it, as it were, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I'm part of a species capable of this, and the beauty of the language and the power of the imagery. You know, it just gives you so much, and the way of looking at the world and putting things into context. I think that being an actor gives you um, just a different way of, of looking at things. And it's almost like you have a a responsibility of sorts to be, as Hamlet says, to hold the mirror up. And um, I think, I don't know if you're familiar, he's not exactly an actor, but he's a performer. In the the States at the moment, um, there's a satirist called Randy Rainbow. Are you familiar with Randy Rainbow? Randy Rainbow has really just exploded into the world with these amazing um, um, musical ripoffs getting stuck into uh, Trump. And it's so witty. It's so it's so in your face. If there's one thing and forgive my opinion, one thing fascism can't stand, it's people making fun of them. And Randy Rainbow gets right in there. And to my mind that's that's a very sacred role of the artist. It's getting right in there, you know? And very few people have the, the freedom or the audacity to do that. And as an actor I fully embrace nothing? got fire Donald quit running your scam there's nothing to tout
3: you're no Abraham Donald, Donald we're all in a jam please get the hell out and
0: take Lindsey Graham <laughs> it would be so nice if he lost on election day a new wall. I'd pay for
2: his I'm going to super summarize what muera is working on for her doctorate. Oh, it started out as being about uh, unconditional positive regard. It expressed at a community level, and then when we dug down on that, it got to be about choice—the the, the choice to be able to um to to, to see. To, 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 to not just have to deal with life that just, just keeps hitting you. You have the choice to, to be able to, to choose your direction. But then if you dig down further from that, it's about imagination. How'd I go, Moira?
1: <laughs> it is about imagination, but very few things in the world that we live in incentivize imagination. They de-incentivize imagination. One thing that I, I, I would draw the distinction, for example, between television and live performance a lot of television is designed to be visual balium. It's designed to keep everyone happy and don't rock the boat. A lot of live theatre is designed to do the exact opposite. It has a revolutionary intent, not a um, you know a, a vote for the status quo. And so um, I think that uh, to, to have the the privilege of being able to exercise your imagination, there's a lot in life that conspires against you. Whether it's you know you. you you can't find work or you know, if you have work, you don't have enough pay to you know, feed your family and things like that. Just the, base, the basic necessities of life can, you know, they can take a toll. It can be very hard to just spend some time with yourself and think about what's happening to me, what's happening to the world, what do I want to do about it? To have that moment of clarity, um, it's, a, it's a rare thing, you know, it's a, it's a, and it's a privilege. Uh, I try to work towards that in my own life. Um, you know, to speak less and l- listen more, uh, to pay attention on uh, with what's happening in the world and what you can do to make a positive change. Um, you know, I think that, that being awake is a, you know, it's, it's a very good thing to be.
0: It was a, a show that I was watching the other day and there was one line stuck in my brain. And, and what you were talking about has just brought that back to my uh, consciousness, which is if you're not paying the product then you are the product and um and you're talking about tv and those shows that just suck you in they make you a captive audience it is a whole different thing from going to the theater where you you pay to go in for a seat to be entertained to be challenged to be pushed to learn to laugh to cry is very different from being sucked into that vortex of TV where you just sit there and are numb and are exposed to advertising.
1: I couldn't agree more. And when I was at the Auckland Theatre Company, I felt that is a huge responsibility of the commitment, particularly in Auckland where you have to drive for an hour sometimes across town, um, find a car park if you can, pay, you know, more than fifty dollars for the privilege of going into a theatre. That's a big commitment. When I mean, these people could have just stayed at home and lie on the couch. So I felt that that always had to be honoured and never taken for granted.
2: In live theatre, the audience has to buy into the imagination as well. In, in in television, you can actually film a Russian countryside in winter, but you can't get that onto a stage.
1: Well, do you know that the audience's imagination has a much bigger budget than any theatre company? Now, I'll give you one example of this. The greatest round of applause I ever got was from a school matinee audience of To Kill a Mockingbird, where I played Atticus Finch. And if you know the story, Atticus has to um, shoot a rabid dog. And um, we had this fabulous rifle that shot a live round. And, of course, the dog is seen, in my mind, approaching from the back of the audience. And so there's an imaginary dog, but I can see it, and therefore the audience can see it. And I slowly, slowly pulled the rifle up. The audience could really be quiet. And then I shot the dog and they went, oh, and they all clapped in the floor because I shot the rabid dog. So it's your um, uh, imagination. If if I see it and I believe it, then the audience sees it and they believe it, you know. So it's, that's the suspension of disbelief. And as I say, um, you can spend a lot of money being literal, but an audience is smart and good writing doesn't belabor the point, it just briefly scribbles it in and you're already there, you know, and just move on to the next idea because the audience is probably there already, you know. I I saw a production of Death of a Salesman um, on Broadway um, and, oh my god, I don't know if you're familiar with the play, but it flashes in and out um, from childhood to the children, full of flashbacks, you know. And they had a conveyor belt, a literal physical conveyor belt that would bring the sets on and then (laughs) chug the sets off and what an audience would have taken a half-second to process took about you know five or six minutes for the effect, and I thought that was very instructive. Is that when you're putting on theatre, you don't have to spend a lot of money to create a very rich experience? Audience,
2: you could have done it with the teddy bear in the corner that you put in that's or something. Right.
1: And, and everything, everything comes back to good writing. Everything. If you're working with a, a, a good playwright, a good play, then ninety-eight percent of your work is done. If you are working with an average script, then it helps to have very good actors because they can endow it with um, oftentimes what's not there.
2: Do we need to be trained to have that imagination? I imagine that we have it when we're little kids.
1: But- yes, and um, I think that it gets beaten out of uh, uh, a lot of people, you know, it's a hard slog. But um, as you said, when you, when you spend time with children, um, it's such a delightful thing. And oftentimes I'm sitting there at the light. And you see this little boy with his mum and the little boys just skipping, skipping, skipping across the the um, the zebra crossing, whatever it is. And I think, well, I wonder how old that little boy will be when he just will when he'll stop skipping, you know? And I think that happens that happens to a lot of people where they just stop skipping. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Oracunui, Dunedin's
0: favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie
4: ora, Koto, Namahi kia I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening to you, this journey that we're all on together is proven to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day the triumph of nature that you are all these wonderful things about you maybe you're not aware of consciously but of course you're contributing every day to this wonderful process of co-evolution of which we are all part connecting us to all life in an infinite web we are here making things ready for all the lives that are waiting to be born and supporting those lives that surround us to make the better it's been very interesting for me, obviously, having lost my voice, and now my voice has come back a lot. And this has happened to me throughout my life, but particularly at the moment, I am noticing and I'm so grateful for having a voice. And I hope that for you, you are able to tune into your own voice and enjoy the richness section the diversity of sound and the way it enables you to express your feelings, your thoughts and how, even by saying just a few words, you can transform things for yourself and for those around you. Now as we all know, Harvey Penfold is headed away and I am embarking on my solo exploration of this new reality. And particularly in this month of October. I've been celebrating all the lockdown learnings and essential workers that surround lucky us all and particularly for today I've been really struck by all of the kindness and support that has come my way of course when I have let people know that Harvey and I are going our separate ways at the moment and just by this act which is quite unusual for me of letting people know what's happening for me I've been very grateful for the support that I've received so I really hope that for you you're able to use your voice to ask for the support that you need and of course to really absorb and appreciate all the support that's coming your way constantly It's often by talking things through with other people that we're able to get the clarity that we need and the understanding for a situation to be illuminated more and more and certainly I'm so grateful for all the the help and the different perspectives that come my way with all aspects of my life and I think at times we can feel maybe that our own advice is not helpful but I feel that it always is. I feel that Offering our own perspectives, our own learnings, our own stories can be immensely helpful for those around us, even if it is just to offer a slightly different perspective. And in doing so, this can produce a real shift, a real transformation for those around us. So, I will be giving a talk on Wednesday and performing in a show on Friday, both of which require my voice. So I'm so relieved that it's back to me. And for those of you that know the story of the little mermaid that her voice was taken from, it really is such a precious gift that we all have so i invite you today to really consciously tune into your voice all of the beauty all of the music all of the storytelling all of the silence between each sound all of the power that you possess in your voice. And I invite you to appreciate, of course, the voices that surround you and the ability that you have to harmonise with them, not only in terms of the sound itself and the beauty and the purity of the sound, mixing with others to create masterpiece creativity, but also in terms of how you're shaping, communicating in response to others and in order to clarify and illuminate for them with your unique perspective. And I'll look for talking tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kaki. T.
2: You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Simon It's
0: Simon, before you are just talking about um, how, how your imagination then feeds the imagination of the audience. If you don't believe it, how do they believe it? And my mind um, goes to classrooms, to learners, to children, sitting in classrooms with teachers and the children trying to... Um, imagine themselves in the future but if the teacher can't see a future for them then how can the the child see a future for themselves that's um what an extraordinary thought i hadn't actually thought about it like that that's pretty amazing
1: to have a teacher like that anywhere in your education is gold and you know um i i'm so grateful for my parents who were so young and they've when they um, enrolled, my brother and I in a very good school here at Auckland and they really sacrificed that we would both have a wonderful education and I am so grateful um, for that. It's, you know, it's it's such a, an, an asset in life and to have an inspiring teacher, um, I think of Mr. Holloway at Auckland Grammar and his passion for theatre and um, he was the one. I'd come back to death of the salesman because this was the the play that I did in my seventh form year at school. I played Willie Loman and to stand on that stage and make a connection with Arthur Miller's writing, I finally did something that I wanted to do and that I could do. and that was because I had um, a wonderful a wonderful English teacher when I was at school.
2: Yeah. Denise Walsh at this end for Logan Park.
1: I got to speak to Arthur Miller, by the way. Um, I was uh, at Auckland Theatre Company. I directed the play in 1999, and um, I actually paid for the rights to it. Yes, I I, I was actually in New York in 1999. I, I, um, for the company, um, put the deposit on the rights for the death of a salesman, um, with uh, Arthur Miller's agent, Bridget Ashenberg. And she said to me, would you like to speak to Arthur? And uh, I said, well, of course. So she picked up the phone and she dialed Arthur Miller. And she handed me the phone, and for about five minutes, she was like speaking to Abraham Lincoln. Let me tell you. Um, I didn't quite know what to say. I I asked a little bit about whether the play was autobiographical, and he said not particularly, but it was really just such a a brush with with history. He's been such a a hero for me, and I love his plays. And to to speak to him was, um, you know, uh, such a high point for me.
2: When we were growing up, my sister was famous in our family for recognising famous people in car parks. It, it wasn't those people, of course, but she was absolutely adamant that it was a famous person that was that she had just seen. But you actually did get to meet him this time. Are you sure? I'll have to get my sister to check. <laughs> Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have the Cranberries, "Empty." Why this one?
1: I've been having a bit of a a nineties, um, uh, you know, retro festival in my car. Anyway, and um, I was playing uh, that Cranberries album, and just what a, an amazing voice Dolores has, uh, or had, and there are some days when only Dolores will do, and. Um, It's funny, you know, Empty is the happiest song on that whole album, it's so ironic. And every time I listen to it, by the miracle of music, I feel full. Empty makes me feel full. And just her beautiful voice, it's like a mournful crystal bell. It just cuts right through to your soul, your core. So. I find it quite an uplifting song, not a song really about emptiness. It's the antidote to emptiness.
2: seen lots of changes in our society over the last six months. Well, it's October nine, ten months. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick?
1: This um coronavirus is a, a changing history, altering experience of the entire world. And by some quirk of fate we few, we happy few, we band of brothers and sisters have ended up in the best place on earth. And I think that we are coming to terms with that lucky, how lucky we are. And I think that over time, over this time, more and more we will come to appreciate uh, the advantage that we have that from that vast point we will begin to offer support and help and guidance for the rest of the world. It always struck me as being um, uh, instructive that New Zealand is the first country in the world to see the light, and I think that is a metaphor that will be our role in the world over the next uh, while once we seem so far away, the tyranny of distance. But there is no tyranny of distance now. And I think as we see the world respond to Jacinda Ardern's inspired leadership, it's really a whole new way of, um, it's a whole new style of politics and really the only way for politics um, in the future is that, you know, we've had enough, forgive me, we've had enough assholes in this world. And if I want assholes, I can talk to myself, God damn it! But we have to look out for each other and look out for the world that we live in. If we want, if you care for your children, you know, and if you believe in the future. And I think that um, we already had that, in our DNA as New Zealanders. And more and more, I think that that will become apparent. It is already apparent to the rest of the world, but it will become apparent to us. And when we fully embrace that role, I think we will have found our true leadership position in the world.
2: So I have some questions to end the show with, and not that much time. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years?
1: You can see me on Television New Zealand On Demand in a show called The New Legends of Monkey, which is playing worldwide on Netflix at the moment. And I have to say that at the grand old age of 58, I had the amazing experience, once it played on Television New Zealand On Demand, of being on a show that was playing... In the entire world at the same time and that was very exciting for me and you know we spoke at the beginning about imagination and having fun i've never had so much fun on a on a set before and i've seen the show i'm so proud of the show and i don't know if you're familiar with the story but it's based on um, a very famous um, journey to the west and um it's not really a kid's show, although you can watch it with your kids and they'll have a great time. But it's about um, friendship and um, loyalty over time and about being a part of something bigger than yourself and what an extraordinary um, thing that is. And so that for me has been, um, professionally anyway, a gift that you know has kept me going. Um, during this time I didn't feel that I'm at the end of something I feel that I'm at the beginning of something and that's a wonderful feeling you know
2: and it's sitting at 100% on rotten tomatoes
1: whoa (laughs) that's just me voting
2: (laughs) (laughs) so we're writing a book of these uh, conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you're uh, in our team what is the superpower that has got you into our mansion
1: oh my goodness Um, um, I am the ocean and you can throw into me anything and like the ocean I will accept it and embrace it that's the way that I cope with things that come at me it's like dropping a pebble in the ocean
2: That is very different to anything that anybody has said before. Do you consider oh, yourself wow. to be an activist? Is that good? Yeah, that's that's incredible. <laughs>
1: um, uh, well, I, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, um, I, I love Facebook because I'm a technophobe, but I can work Facebook. Working on this thing tonight has been a technical achievement for me. Um, and I have not been backward about coming forwards with my feelings on, like, the, uh, the two subjects of the refer- referendum at the moment. I've got some feelings about those, and I am very happy to share them with anyone who would like to read them. Um, and because I think people look at actors in a certain way, you know, like circus vocals, something like that it gives you um it gives you a certain um, freedom to say things that other people want to say
2: so what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning
1: i'll be serious for a moment my brother took his own life in 2018 um, six weeks after my father died. My mother died in two thousand and eleven. The four of us. I don't have any children of my own, so I'm, I'm an. I feel in me a strong need to live a life for them as well as for me, and to get the most living experience for the life that they didn't get the opportunity to live. Particularly my brother, and so to get out there and to the edge of glory, to make the most of it. It's hot to feel the rush, to brush the dangerous, you know. So I try to get my money's worth as much as I can, but not beat myself up if things don't work out the way that I planned or, you know, if if there are some days when uh, I – I just want to lie on the couch so I think to learn to be gentle with yourself to pace yourself hopefully it's a long life and I like it how people say at the end it's the things that you didn't do that you regret not the things that you did do and I've made it my mission in life to do as much as I can and for better or worse I have always been lucky enough to be able to do that and I've fallen flat on my face a couple of times And goodness knows I've done some very stupid things in my life. But I've survived through where my immediate family didn't. And so I feel a a responsibility to live for them the best that I can.
2: Is that the challenge that you're looking forward to over the next year or so, continuing that, or is it something specific?
1: Um, Well, it's, it's really my steady state. I'll, I'll be um, 60 in two years' time. And so I've had act one and I've had act two. And act three is is underway, even as we speak. And so um, I'd like to think that I've got three acts in me and that the third act will be the most exciting one and not the, the lame old ending that no one wants to see.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, you've just given us some very good advice, but... <coughs> Do you have any advice for our listeners?
1: Um, Go out and get a cat. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't already got one, I love animals. And I find that in loving animals, I discover my own humanity. And if you don't have one, particularly, um, you know, during the lockdown, The company and the the humor and goodness knows if you live with a cat you realize you're living with someone with an opinion as strong as your own if not and to come up against that sort of force always keeps you on your toes would you like to meet one of them
0: yeah oh hello (laughs)
2: Hello. This is
1: Poo Poo. This is Poo Poo. Oh, lovely. I've got three of them. Paris, Hilton and Poo Poo. <laughs> I'll tell you why she's called Poo i leave that to your imagination.
2: <laughs> Moera.
0: Simon, oh my gosh, this has just been extraordinary. Um, from having lost my sister um, at a young age um, I know exactly what it is to live your life for them as well I've spent my whole life living my life for my sister too since she never got the opportunity and um, there have been so many things that you've said that have struck a chord with me tonight you are an extraordinary human and I'm so glad we got to talk to you and we're so lucky to have you and you've i bet you could never count the number of lives that you've touched thank goodness you have
1: thank you so much
2: thank you very much we're going out to the seagull not the play but the opera pasatieri's opera this is eleni carendro with the song of the lake Their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. we broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on OAR.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay Dunedin with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and Simon Prest in Auckland. We hope you enjoyed the show
5: is said things said